I want to open this morning with an, a little illustration that's pretty close to home. It's actually very close to home. It's visible from our, the back of our house. Uh, so I was kind of thinking about bringing some kind of an illustration to show us uh, perhaps the difference between something that has been tended by God really well and then something that hasn't been tended by God because it says here, doesn't it, uh, you know, that uh, my father is the gardener. And, and when God's activity is present, we'd expect to see certain kinds of results. And when it's not, we might expect to see something else. Um, so I was looking out my back garden, and uh, our garden kind of, we back onto Edgebaston Reservoir, and it kind of goes down to the reservoir there. And if you look across in the next garden, there's an apple tree there. Um, and then again, if you look across one more garden, there's another apple tree. Um, now the garden, two garden, the, the apple tree two gardens along is in a garden that's pretty well kept. You know, they're pretty garden proud people, I would say. You know, the, the, the grass is way, way neater than ours, and you know, the, the fence looks tidy, and this apple tree looks great. And then the, in the garden next to ours, adjacent to ours, the story with the apple tree there is very different. It's like a house of multiple occupancy. Nobody cares at all about the garden. And they come in like once every six months and slash everything down, and uh, this tree is uh, down the garden. And I I think somebody originally planted both these apple trees at the same time, but the outcomes for them have been very different. And to illustrate what I mean, I'm going to show you a picture. Um, I'll also talk it through for the benefit of those who can't see or who are perhaps uh, listening later on podcast. Um, I'm going to show you a picture and I'm going to describe uh, the different trees to you. So the first tree... um, uh, Hopefully, that'll be up there on the screen for you. Yeah, so the, tr- the first tree is the kind of tree you'd be proud to have in your garden. You know, the foliage looks good. There's a nice shape on that tree, isn't there? We're just getting to the end of the spring season, and the blossom's beginning to, to finish, uh, and that blossom's going to turn into fruit. And I know from previous years that the owners of this house um, will go down, and they'll collect the apples. And it look, the apples are red. You know, I mean, it's like the stereotypical apple tree. It's great. Uh, and they go and pick apples, and it looks really cute. It's just a nice tree, isn't it? You'd be pleased to have that. So that's two, two doors down. And then we have the tree which is one door down, and the difference is enormous. In fact, you'd probably struggle to tell that that's an apple tree. Uh, it's basically never had any tending happen to it at all. The branches have gone all kind of leggy and long and misshapen. Um, there's uh, Sometimes when I've been mowing in the, in the late summer, early autumn, and I've looked at the tree, uh, there's kind of large fruit there, but they're, they're kind of sort of bloated and pale, and there's maggot holes as well. Uh, and they're not very many, they're not very, very many apples. But the biggest thing that's obviously staring us all in the face is the fact that this tree is absolutely riddled with ivy. It's been taken over by a foreign invader. It's been completely occupied by another entity. And so when we're thinking about the issue of fruitfulness, it wouldn't be too hard to imagine that the first tree is a little bit like the disciple Peter. You know, he went through a refining process. You know, Jesus prayed for him and, uh, and, and gave Satan to, uh, permission to sift him like wheat in that very curious phrase. Uh, but then uh, Peter comes through that time and he's restored by Jesus in the long haul. And we go from a place, a place of denials of Jesus even to preaching a fantastic sermon on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And, you know, 3,000 people come into the Lord. I mean, this is a man who's been pruned and refined and tended to by God and has come through. And he's in a much better place. However, if we then jump across to the picture, maybe the illustration of the other tree, that's not too far-fetched to see Judas in this tree, is it? Because if you think about Judas, Judas' deal was that he absolutely did not want to be tended to by God. 
He didn't want to be tended to by Jesus. Uh, In the message on betrayal that we looked at, this is a man who spent three years with Jesus in person, listening to most of his sermons in person, watching most of his miracles in person, who remained unimpressed. Now, that's hard. I mean, I'd find that really difficult to achieve, but he somehow manages to do that. And the result is, suddenly, there's an invader in his life, and it takes him over, and he's then marked out for destruction. If there's a couple of images that I want to show you, know, to, to, to show you and then leave you with from today around fruitfulness, it would be these two trees that we can see from our back, uh, you know, our back, the back of our house, our back windows. It's quite a stark difference, isn't it? It really is. So we're going to unpack a little bit the idea of fruitfulness from John 15. Now, Jesus uses a different picture. He uses a picture from the vineyard from grapevines. Um, and uh, he, he, as, as Arne read for us, uh, we have a picture of the different roles that are going on. So God is the gardener. God is the person who kind of tends the whole vineyard. Uh, Jesus is the vine. Uh, he's the main sort of stem of the, of the plant, if you like. And then we as disciples, we're the branches. We're the, we're the, the bits that kind of come off the vine. Um, And then uh, our fruitfulness in the kingdom of God is the grapes that get produced along the branches that are then connected to the vine. So it's a very helpful and clear picture from Jesus um, about where we stand in terms of our connection and our fruitfulness and the productivity that Jesus and the Lord uh, God has in mind for us. So here's the headline teaching or the headline message, if you like. We must not disconnect from Jesus. We are to remain in Jesus. If we disconnect from the Lord, no kingdom fruit is going to appear. And that makes total sense, doesn't it? Because how could fruit appear from a branch that isn't connected to its parent plant, if you like? Or it's, it's, it's not going to happen, is it? It's not going to have the energy, the connection, uh, the nutrients, the supply of sap, all of the things that would make it work. It's not going to work. We need to stay connected to Jesus, otherwise no fruit is going to appear. In fact, we will become a withered branch, and eventually we'll be chucked on the fire. And it says that later down the passage, doesn't it? Um, I want to draw your attention to the fact that the word remain, uh, the, re- the word remain ex- repeats itself seven times in this passage. It's absolutely key that we remain in Jesus. Um, John, as a writer, is quite, uh, he's quite greedy about the word remain. I did, a, I did a, a kind of a, a word count in the New Testament on the word remain, and it appears 118 times, and John hogs the, well, he hogs a lot. He has 70 of them. He wants lots and lots of the word remain, and it seems like it's a big theme in his teaching to say, stay with Jesus, connect with Jesus, be linked to Jesus. He says, he says it a lot. Um, A more old-fashioned term is the term abide. You might have that in in your translation, or you you may remember that, abide in Jesus. Now, I have to say, that's not a word we typically use in modern-day language, do we? Uh, We don't sort of say, you know, I'll I'll abide in the cafe, and then you'll come and get me later. You know, we don't don't typically say that. Oh, maybe you do, I don't know, but I I don't. Okay, we we would say stay there or remain. Abide is a little bit more old-fashioned, but it has the same sense Uh, remain in Jesus is the headline thing that Jesus is wanting to say to us. Um, 
We were fortunate enough to have a, a speaker uh, come and speak for us at our Elam conference a couple of weeks ago, uh, a, a minister called Rich Velodas, who preaches from a church in Queens in New York, and he brought a great message on abiding. It was a really good message, and he, he brought an example of the tea bag, and he showed us a picture of a cup of tea, and uh, he asked us the question, are you a stewer or are you a dunker? So in other words, do you put the tea bag in and let it stew for ages? Anyone here do, do that? Yeah? Okay. And then, are you a dunker? So it's like in and out. It's like a slight influence. You're getting a tea-flavored drink. I kind of put it to you that that's what's happening. Yeah? So, okay, we're not sure where we stand on that one, but the, I, the principle he's teaching us is really good because if we're only like a dipper, then the influence from Jesus is minimal if you, if you get the, the, the drift of the, of the influence of the tea in the boiling water. If we're like a, a, a stewer then we're, we're abiding all the time. That tea bag is abiding and remaining in the cup. Therefore, the influence of the tea leaves on the water is that much stronger. Do you, do you get the picture? Yeah, great stuff. Headline message, stay connected to Jesus for kingdom fruit. But there's a sub-message in what Jesus wants to say. And the sub-message is that God prunes us back for even greater fruitfulness. He prunes us back for even greater fruitfulness. And this often seems really painful because it seems like God is taking away really good things from our life. We may have had a ministry that's done well. We may have been doing great in our job. We may have uh, made progress on a project. And then there's a season of kind of turmoil and pain. And we haven't sinned or anything, but we're thinking, what's happening here, God? I thought I was onto something here. What God is doing is he's pruning it back. He's making sure that you keep giving that back to him in order that he can then be more fruitful with you later down the line. Uh, And this is a practice that uh, actually is borne out by people who tend vineyards, actual vineyards. Uh, They will tell you that you'll get really poor fruit if you never prune the vine. Whereas if you continually prune the vine, uh, you'll get fantastic fruit. And it actually needs to do that. Otherwise, it spends its energy going off all over the place, rather than producing fruit. So the headline message is, stay connected to Jesus. The sub-message is, God prunes us for even greater fruitfulness. And sometimes he prepares us in a way that feels painful, because we're having to give something to him and surrender it up, but actually it's for a purpose that in the future there will be even more fruit for us. I want to just take us through into a couple of aspects of John 15.1 and John 15.2 and and bring out some specific teaching points. I'm going to start with John 15.2 where it says, Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. I suggest that it might say that in your translation. He removes that. Now, that's a little bit puzzling. What does it it mean uh, when it says that he removes it? And I found that hard, and I've done a lot of kind of work and research on that. Um, the Greek verb for remove is a, is a word called aero, um, and it can actually mean to take away. Yes, it can, or to remove, but it can also mean to pull up an anchor, and it can also mean lift up. And for as many times as it means remove in the New Testament, it also means lift up, actually. And so there is a bit of a scholarly debate going on over whether this means, you know, remove or lift up. And I'm going to suggest to you, you know, you can come and fight me on this after the sermon if you like, and I'll I'll be okay with your position. But I'm going to put it to you that, that actually, I think lift up makes more sense in the big picture of Jesus's heart and mind and teaching. Let me tell you why. 
First of all, people who work in vineyards do this a lot. They go around and they find all the branches that are trailing on the ground and they literally lift them up and put them back on the trellis in order that there is more fruitfulness. Okay, so it, the practice of, of, of managing a vineyard would seem to support that. There is also an entire parable from Jesus about the unfruitfulness of a particular fig tree in which the fig tree gets another chance because the gardener says, no, 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 give me another year on it. I'll dig around it. I'll put fertilizer in it. Give it another chance. That seems to be uh, like consistent with the idea that perhaps Jesus is saying lift up here rather than remove. Can I also say that the whole journey of the Bible is God continually giving his people more chances to turn around. Is that not true? If you look in the journey of the Bible, what does God keep on doing? He keeps on revisiting situations and keeps on going, okay, let's try again. Uh, Okay, you failed this time, but let's try again. Let's try again. He continually does that. In fact, the person of Jesus is, is God's kind of final answer to trying again. The prophets and the, and the, uh, you know, the, the, the leaders of the law, uh, the, the rulers of the nations of the Old Testament, it didn't work in terms of building a relationship with God. And so finally, Jesus is sent. That is trying again. That is offering another chance to be lifted up. Even Judas had two more chances right here in the Last Supper where Jesus attempted to lift him up. Jesus included him, even though he knew that he was going to betray him, he included him in the foot washing. He did not exclude him. That's Jesus sending Judas a clear message, hey, you are included still. Jesus gave him some bread. He was extending fellowship to Judas. Those two actions right there, right here in the Last Supper, are saying, Judas, if you would receive this from me, let me lift you up back to a place of fellowship and connection. We also all have periods in our own lives and times when we are not that fruitful. And they're for good reasons. For instance, if we're going through grief or we're going through a struggle or there seems to be kind of like a fallow period in our lives. And the idea that Jesus would just come along with big shears and go, well, you're no good. Off you go because you're not being fruitful right now. No, that's not right. That doesn't strike me as correct. A couple more reasons why I think it's lifted up. If we, if we take it to mean literally removed, uh, then we have to embrace a very awkward theology of works, which is that unless you're being fruitful, you cannot abide in Jesus. Well, I don't think that's right. That doesn't strike me as correct. If you think about the thief on the cross, he's a good example of that, isn't he? He had no time in his journey on the cross to be fruitful for God and prove that he was Jesus' disciple. He simply believed and received salvation. So I'm going to suggest, and I'm okay if you disagree with me, but I'm going to suggest that the arrow word there in in John 15.2 is lifted up because it reflects the kindness and the repeated chances that the Lord gives to his people to be fruitful. However, if we refuse this, as, Jesus, as Judas did, eventually we're going to end up like that second tree that I showed you, the one overrun by the ivy. And ultimately, you know, I mean, one day they're going to turn up into that HMO, aren't they, with a chainsaw, and that tree's going to go, and all the ivy with it. It is. It's going to happen. I can just see it coming. So that's John 15 too. I just wanted to share that with you because I think it's important for our understanding, and it reveals something of the pastoral heart of the Lord. 
John 15, 1 uh, is another piece of teaching I want to bring to you. uh, And it's something where, well, just go with me on this. It says, I am the true vine. And this, this statement, I am, is the end of a series of seven I am statements that, uh, that Jesus makes in John's gospel. Uh, let me just take you through them. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Uh, I am the gate for the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. Now, when I was studying this and reading this, something jumped out to me. I don't know if this ever happens to you when you're reading the Bible, and there's a word in there, and you're thinking, why has that been put in there? And I'd encourage you in your own devotional lives to pursue that. Go and, go and do a bit of a journey on that word, because sometimes God is bringing to your attention something that, that he wants you to unpack and, and, and you know, to, to learn about. And the word that I was drawn to was this word, True. At the beginning of John 15, John 15, verse 1, I am the true vine. And then I noticed when I went through all the other I am statements that Jesus makes, he doesn't add true. Now, in fairness, the sixth one, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he kind of doesn't need to say true there, like I am the true way, the true truth, and the true life. That would be unnecessary. So granted that that doesn't need to apply. I get that. But for the other I am statements, he doesn't say, I am the true light of the world. I am the true gate of the sheep. I am the true resurrection and the true life. I am the true good shepherd. He only says it for the vine. I am the true vine. And I'm starting to think, so why have you said that, Jesus? What are you trying to bring out here? Is there a false vine? Because the true is the opposite of false. And when someone wants to assert something, you sometimes say it in order to counter the other thing that's in people's minds, don't you? So is there a false vine? Or was, was there a vine that was supposed to be a vine, but that actually wasn't a vine? Do, do you see where I'm going with this? There's something that Jesus is trying to highlight, and, and, and when we get into it, we find that there is. So jump with me for a moment in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 5, and this will appear in your version notes as well. But for those of you with physical Bibles, hey, I get to use both ribbons today. Look, John 15, and then... Yeah, Isaiah 5, look at that. I bought that Bible for that reason alone. There we go, come on. (laughs) Isaiah chapter 5 from verse 1. I'm going to read this uh, out loud because it's a parable from the prophet Isaiah about a vineyard. Okay? Read with me. I will sing about the one I love. Isaiah 5 verse 1. A song about my loved one's vineyard. The one I love had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He broke up the soil, cleared it of stones, and planted it with the finest vines. He built a tower in the middle of it, and even dug out a wine press there. He expected it to yield good grapes, but it yielded worthless grapes. So now, residents of Jerusalem and men of Judah, please judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard than I did? Why, when I expected a yield of good grapes, did it yield worthless grapes? Now I will tell you what I'm about to do to my vineyard. I will, I will remove its hedge, and it will be consumed. I will tear down its wall, and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland. It will not be pruned or weeded. Thorns and briars will grow up. I will also give orders to the clouds that rain should not fall on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of armies is the house of Israel... 
and the men of Judah, the plant he delighted in. And here it comes. Here is where Isaiah is going with this. He, that's God, expected justice, but saw injustice. He expected righteousness, but heard cries of despair. When there is no righteousness or justice in our societies, there are cries of despair. When a policeman kneels on a black man's neck and kills him when he's supposed to be protecting civilians, there are a lot of cries of despair. Injustice and unrighteousness are features of an unfruitful society disconnected from God. And Isaiah is calling it out. Isaiah is saying, with this parable of this vineyard, uh, Israel, generally, Judah specifically, you are not acting righteously before God. You are indulging in sin. You have gone your own way. There's that very chilling phrase in the Bible, isn't it, where it says... um, uh, where each person decided to do what was right in their own eyes. Man, that's a chilling statement. Basically, it's kind of like a free-for-all. It's like code word for anarchy. It means that anything goes. And what we end up with is we end up with an apple tree like the apple tree next door to our house, where basically there is nothing tending that, and it's just gone off in all directions. And, you know, we have this thing in our culture where we kind of just justify that and say, well, that's okay for you. You, you, you know, you can choose to be lazy or you can choose to not be fruitful or you can choose to just kind of be all over the place because, you know, what, that's your life. Well, I would challenge that and I'd say, actually, that's a, that's a huge waste because perhaps that apple tree or that person or that disciple had something fruitful in them, designed into them from God that could have been fantastic for the rest of society. What if Wilberforce had been a dosser? That wouldn't have been any good for slavery, would it? Fruitfulness is a massive issue to the Lord. And we need to get behind that a little bit, church. We have a, I, can I say, I think we have a culture that kind of thinks laziness is fun. It's not fun. It offends God that we are not pressing into the fruit that he would have for us to be creating in, in our lives and in society. There was a vineyard. It was the nation of Israel. There was a choice vine. It was the people of the tribe of Judah. God had expected fruit from that tribe. He had expected them to model a relationship uh, with him that would then be an example to the rest of the world. But they reneged on that. They didn't do it. And therefore, injustice and unrighteousness started to run rampant in that society. And if you go back in Isaiah to kind of Isaiah 3, Isaiah 4, you can get a pretty graphic description of what's going on. And then if you go forward from Isaiah 5 into past this poem, God lists out six woes, which a woe is a a severe complaint. You know, Jesus does a, a whole load of woes against the Pharisees because they're religiously stuck, very unfruitful people. So God had expected a righteousness and a justice to appear as a fruitfulness, as an outworking from a relationship with him, and instead all he finds is injustice and cries of despair. And that is why our Time for Change affiliation today is so important, because we're trying to do our bit to address that. We're trying to make society fair. 
Can I just say, I absolutely love the multinational aspect of our church. I prize it highly. It's one of the most precious things I've ever seen. I love the fact that we're from all over the world in one place worshipping God. I love the fact that we're all different colours. I love the fact that Sheila's black and born in Bristol and I'm white and born in Zimbabwe. I love that. I love it. And I encourage you to fight for it hard with everything you have and be fruitful in it. Because it's so, so important. What we have here in this church is vitally important because the world looks in and goes, well, at least there's one place that's getting along. Amen? So what Jesus is doing by saying at the beginning of John 15, 1, I am the true vine, is he saying, I am not like the nation of Judah was in Isaiah 5. I am not that. I'm not that. If you connect with me and you stay connected with me, if you abide with me, you will have a true fruitfulness that will start to produce kingdom works of which you can be proud and of which the Lord would be pleased. He would not look down and pronounce woes on your life if you stay connected to the vine of Jesus. I'm going to ask for the worship team just to return. And I'm going to bring... I'm going to change tack very slightly, and I'm going to bring a practical application to close the message. Just something practical for you. I want to recommend a book to you. I tried to get this book on Amazon and have a stock of them downstairs on the info point, and there was only like six left, and I thought, that's a bit unfair. Uh, you know, there'll be a, a queue to get them, and then they w- we won't be able to sell them to you. But, so the book I want to recommend to you is a book called uh, Secrets of the Vine by Bruce Wilkinson. And do jump onto Amazon and have a look at that and get it for yourself. It's a really good book. Now, what Bruce Wilkinson does, which is so helpful, is he, he, he takes you through the difference between when you're in the pain of sin versus in the pain of being pruned. And I think that's just a helpful way to kind of bring this message into something purposeful for our lives because I know that none of you sin. I get that, okay? So this will be like for your friend, won't it? Yeah? Okay, so that, that pain and that turmoil that you feel, you know, sorry, that your friend feels, you can counsel them about that. Okay, but maybe so you might want to focus on the pruning thing because when God prunes us, the pain of the removal of the things that are precious to us that God's taken off of us feels like the turmoil and the pain of the, uh, that we've sinned. And I think it's helpful to draw some distinctions between those two things because sometimes we can get our, our radar mixed up over which one it is. So let me just give you some practical steps uh, just as we come into land in our message. We know how painful it is to sin, and we know how painful it is when God cuts things back, when he prunes something in our life. And so here's some ways to tell the difference between the two. It's discipline around the sin area when you're doing something wrong, but it's pruning and cutting back when you're doing something right. So if you're doing something wrong, that turmoil or that disconnection you're feeling from God is because you're doing something, you know, you're sinning, you're doing something wrong. But if you're doing something right, then if there's turmoil and disconnection, it's pruning. That's the first one. So it's, 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 it's sin if you're doing something wrong, it's pruning if you're doing something right. It's sin if you saw no fruit from that, but it's pruning if you actually saw some fruit from that. So what you need to do is look at the scenario and go, was there, was there fruit or not? And if there was no fruit at all, the chances are <laughs> it's a sin issue. But if there was some fruit, the chances are God's pruning you. 
When it's, when it's a, a discipline matter from God about sin, what needs to go is the sin. When it's a pruning matter with the Lord, what needs to go is self. Two different things. The right response to discipline because of sin is repentance. In other words, being sorry and changing our minds. The right response to pruning is access. A very different thing. It's a different idea. It's giving God permission to come in. And the final difference is that discipline because of sin stops when we stop sinning. That's when it stops. But pruning stops only when God as the gardener is done. And that can be really hard because we want him to stop sooner than he often does. You know, if there was any kind of a chance of a rescue package for that tree next door to us, I'm pretty sure that we're looking at some severe pruning. You know, that we're talking branches back to just little stumps, all the ivy off, a whole kind of fertilizer treatment package, and only then might it survive. Serious, serious pruning has to go on for that tree. So if you're still unsure whether you might be in a season of discipline from God about sin or pruning from God for fruitfulness, because they're both very painful and they can, we, can, we can both feel disconnected from God, they can both cause us to feel disconnected, then, and you still can't tell, then ask God to show you. And in my experience, and I'm not saying, like, <laughs> I'm giving away too much here, but in my experience, God shows us pretty quickly whether it's sin. <laughs> okay, he does. He gets straight on it. You, you'll get an answer within a week. No, that's a sin. It'll be somebody says it's you, you'll see it on a billboard, you'll see it in the Word several times, ever had that come on be honest God will show you and therefore if he doesn't show you within around seven days is my experience it's pruning and he's cutting you back for more fruitfulness in your life and you just have to roll with it but take courage and have hope because there's great fruitfulness coming there's even more fruitfulness than you thought was even possible in your life amen let's all stand we're going to worship a little while are you guys going to play for us is that okay yeah just play We're going to play. In fact, we're going to do a little bit of ministry. Let's do some ministry time.